Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. I would say to everyone listening, um, you know, take a look at your phone right now. What are the notifications you're receiving? What is on your home page? Because, you know, it's proximity determines the choices to which we engage with, you know. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Have you ever wanted to instill a new behavior, whether that be lifestyle or health related, or maybe it's just spending more time with your kids or being more present at the dinner table? Well, today we're going to be talking about changing your behaviors for good with Dr. Heather McKee. She's back on the podcast and she is the UK's leading lifestyle behavior change specialist and keynote speaker. She spent over 10 years in academia studying what it takes to create habits that last and her work has been published in world leading research journals as well as over 300 media articles as well. Today we're going to be talking about the ingredients for behavior change and why skill power is more important than willpower and how our environment including our digital environment is critical. You'll also learn about the techniques that you can apply to enhance or reduce any behaviors, including the concepts behind friction and fuel, slippy, i.e. extrinsic, and sticky, i.e. intrinsic motivators, and why information alone is not enough to create changes, and we'll also talk about determination theory. Heather has spent a lot of time working with companies in the technology space as well. And the later part of our conversation focuses on how I have and will continue to utilize some of the behavioral change science when creating new features for the Doctor's Kitchen app to enhance the user's ability to eat well every day. That's our goal uh, at the uh, the Doctor's Kitchen. And uh, hopefully a lot of you have noticed some of the features that we've added. We also talk through Heather's top tips for instilling new behaviors at the end of the podcast. Remember, you can download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free and get access to all of our recipes with specific suggestions tailored to your health needs and new recipes added every single month. We've had some incredible feedback so far and new features being added all the time and check it out with a 14 day free trial too. And if you're an Android user, we are working hard on an Android app and do check out the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter. In the meantime, you can subscribe on our website and I'll send you a recipe to cook as well as some mindfully curated media to help you have a healthier, happier week, including some jokes at the end that people love. I really do hope you enjoy today's podcast. It is a masterclass in Heather's ability to communicate behavioral change science, and I absolutely love having her on the pod. And before I leave you, remember you can watch this as well on our YouTube channel. We are reinstating the vodcast, the video podcast. I think that's what you call them. Uh, so check it out on the YouTube channel. You just go to YouTube and just type in the doctor's kitchen and it will pop up. And it's at the top of your caption on whatever podcast player you are listening to this on. Onto the pod. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The last time we spoke, I was cooking for you. That's probably the last oh. know, the last time we saw each other in person. Uh, I think I remember yeah. I cooked you a Middle Eastern style dish, like a um, a tabbouleh almost, uh, or a play yeah. on that. So I had like parsley in it and like a whole bunch of other uh, vegetables. Yeah, because I and... remember because I really don't like parsley. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I don't like. <laughs> and you added me for my parsley hatred. And you were like, well, just have a little bit. You're so, you're so tight to your herds. You're like, I'll just, we'll just have a little bit. And I'm like, really? Like, maybe we could go coriander. And you're like, it just really needs the parsley. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, but I'm glad uh, I managed to, to convince you to, to have some of that at least. Um, but yeah, so uh, what, for, for those uh, uh, of the listeners who, who haven't come across the episode or, or haven't come across mm. your work, um, I wonder if you yeah. could do like a little refresher into you and your background and, and why you're so passionate yeah. about the subject. I, I'm really passionate about it and yeah. I, 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 you know, love talking to you every time. And you actually, uh, before um, uh, you, you, you do that, I just want to remind listeners that you were the person that introduced me first to James Clear Atomic Habits. I remember when you gave me the book, you okay. were like, you need to read this book. I was like, oh, I've never even heard of it before. And now it's like, you know, some crazy bestseller. So thank you for that. I think it's, yeah. it's been, you know, pivotal oh to the way I think as well. He's incredible. He mm. is incredible. Like his work, I just think he's just the most beautiful. He's the be- most beautiful way of translating mm. um, research and science into accessible things that we want to do. And like, I think that matters to me a lot. And that, mm. I, that he, like, you know, people are like, oh, he doesn't have it. He's a journalist or whatever, but. I'm like, that doesn't matter. In fact, that makes him better in a way because he's just taking concepts and making it real world for us. And um, for so long, we haven't had that. So um, in terms of like behavioral science. So yeah, big fan. Yeah, definitely. Well, enough about James. Let's talk about you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Okay. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> so so tell, tell us a bit about your um, how you started your academic career and what led you down this path of um, uh, of, of academia and, and what you do in practice. 
God, that makes you think back. Makes think back to my careers guidance teacher. Who was like, oh, um, there's this uh, there's this course called like sports science and health, like an undergraduate degree, and I was like, that sounds too fun. That can't be a real degree. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went on to do to do that initially, um, which I loved. And actually, um, my thesis in that was looking at men's mental health and managing um, how men um, manage. Um, moderate to severe uh, depression and, mm. and looking at exercise as an intervention for that and we looked at exercise alone in the gym and exercise in groups um, and we found that exercise in groups with um, CBT therapy kind of sprinkled in was more effective because of the bonding and the different mm. um, factors that kind of went behind that and that just basically kind of started the spark that got me really interested in how actually psychology can really help um transform people's lives Mm. um and it was when I was um in actually doing my undergrad I was working in a metabolic syndrome clinic and we had um amazing personal trainers we had incredible um nutritionists and every person that was in the clinic had these unreal plans like they were so perfect you know I was trying to like photocopy them for myself um (laughs) and uh it was funny because everyone had all these tools. They had all of the things that they needed, and yet they were still struggling. Um, they were struggling to put things in place. And it was really intriguing for me. So I sat down with every single person in the clinic, all 60 of them, <laughs> and just had a chat and was like, what's stopping you? What's getting in the way? You know, Why is it that you can't make these habits stick? Um, and that really got me really fired up about um, behavioral science and behavior change. Um, and from then, I went to Loughborough University um, and studied um, more into um, health psychology and, and behavioural science. And then I went on to Birmingham to do a PhD in the psychology of um, weight loss. So mm. how to lose weight without dieting. So again, mm. like, you know, how do we use skills, routines, goals? Um, how do we resist temptation? All research into self-regulation, um, self-determination theory, um, you know, all these pieces around, well, what fuels motivation and how do we actually, because I'm absolutely obsessed with what throws people off track and what keeps people on track. Mm. Um, and we did these studies where we looked at people that had been sustaining healthy habits for years, like 5, 10, 15 years, versus those that had done it for a period of time, like a good few years, and then fallen off track. And we were looking at, well, what was the difference? And, and you know, why did they, um, you know, go off track when so many other people, um, you know, well, well, some of them, why did they sustain habits? And then why did others go off track? And that was fascinating. Um, and then after academia, I had set up this um, group. So we had a group of people that were doing, like, we were training in psychological skills. And we had another group that were exercise and diet alone. And um, so normal kind of, you know, weight, weight management group um, versus one that just looked at psychological skills. And I just loved being with people like I just loved being kind of there chatting with people really understanding their barriers like trying to really like get an idea of the context in which they live and it was in um you know quite a poor area of Birmingham and there were people that had a lot of kind of social um struggles and um you know it was just so eye-opening and um, for someone who's come from quite a privileged background to actually really kind of get into the mindsets of people and really understand you know that it's it's not as simple as the advice or the information that we give people mm. um 
And it was kind of when my studies got taken up by the media then in the US and stuff. And people started messaging me saying like, how do I lose weight without dieting? Or how do I sustain my habits? And I was like, yeah, oh God, people are into this. Like, cause I was obviously into it, but you know, I was like, people are into it like, like me. And, um, so I, I was working kind of for a few different charities, like working as a consultant, so helping them set up behavior change programs, um, you mm. know, to either self-managed on conditions or different bits and pieces. Um, but I was like, I might give, I might give this a go. People seem to be into it. Um, and so then I kind of launched into consultancy. So I started working with a couple of different, um, you know, companies that have um behavior change programs and then more recently now we're in the digital age it's kind of merged into digital health behavior change um as well and um I now do a lot of talking as well a lot of keynote speaking because you can't shut me up about it so I might as well be on a stage <laughs> with a mic <laughs> and I'll keep, I'll keep talking about it but I just I feel so incredibly lucky to be in a field that lights me up so much and mm. I know it um, you know, you're you're similar to myself. You're so passionate about your field, and um, yeah, I almost feel in a way evangelical about it because I feel like I I know things like that maybe others don't know, and I think it's really unfair of me not to be able to share that with people in a way. And I feel very compelled to do so. And I I'd like we were just talking about there. You know, I I want there to be a platform where we can translate the research into you know, things people can do day to day. And that that's mm. really important to me um, because, I, you know, I know people don't read journal papers um, day in, day out. And I think it's very important to me to be able to actually, um, you know, be able to break down what, what they say and, and what the latest findings are um, that are that makes it accessible for people that they can um, yeah, then apply to their lives straight away. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's so much there that you you just spoke about that really does resonate with my my own personal experience both as a clinician but also as a patient as well i mean we're all patients and some in some way or form um one of the things that i remember vividly is having that realization that just me telling people the types of foods that they should be focusing their diet around uh or you know the benefits and the evidence base around these particular suite of foods eating consistently over time was nowhere near enough we're not even scratching the surface when it comes to actually enacting that uh, or motivating that person to enact that change for the long term and mm. the skill set that is required whether it be culinary creativity whether it be uh, a plan or you know the, the the motivation to stick to said plan that is so so important I don't think I came to that realization until probably halfway through my medical career by which time I'd seen you know thousands of, of patients so I, I, I really agree with what you're saying it's it's critical to sort of have this piece of the puzzle when it comes to mm. um, lifestyle changes whether they be individual goals whether it be work-based goals whether it be health goals whether it be psychological emotional goals all these different things they definitely need to be seen through the lens of of behavior change and actually Rupi what you talking there makes me think um there's an analogy I use um which is you know how many of us don't know we need to eat more vegetables? <laughs> you know, how many of us don't know that we need to sleep more? How many of us don't know that we need to drink more water or manage our stress better? But like, these are what I call the ingredients of change. Um, and so we can all know the ingredients 
in the recipe for health. But the problem is where we get stuck is turning our intentions into actions. Mm. And that's where behavioral science comes in. And, and I, I say it's the method in the recipe for health. So it's how to take these vital ingredients and actually intertwine them and put them into the context of your life. And your life is different than, you know, the next person's life. But it's very important that we think about context. But we also think about skills. And um, I I have a cheesy phrase, it's just, it's about skill power, not willpower that makes Mm. habits last. But ultimately, and, and you mentioned it there, it's about enabling people and empowering them with skills to take the ingredients for change and actually, you know, understand how what method works for them. So skills like goal setting, skills like picking themselves back up after failure, skills like planning, like implementation, skills like, you know, you teach in the app, like how to cook spring greens in five minutes or, you know, um, how to use, learn takeaway alternatives or, um, you know, how to flavor a meal you know that's a that's a skill in itself um Mm. but the thing is we we push information um and information doesn't always translate into implementation and Mm. and what we need to do is actually empower people with not just the knowledge but the skills and the confidence to actually make lasting change and so um it's a funny because um I was watching the Great British Bake Off a while ago and, and there's this round in it called the Technical Challenge. Um, yeah. And uh, in the Technical Challenge, they they give, you know, they give you kind of a few of the ingredients or some of the ingredients, but basically no methodology. Um, and it's the part where like, you know, it really kind of, um, I was going to say a terrible baking joke there. Bakers really have to prove themselves. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I'm such a sucker for a cheesy joke. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, don't encourage me. Um, but, you know, it's so interesting because those that have, I think it's a really good analogy actually for habit change when you think about it, because those that have practiced, trialed, failed, iterated before know, Mm. you know, say they're making a jam donut, they know when to put the ingredients in, in what order, what's going to make it go flat, what's not going to work. So they've, they've learned through a series of failures what they need to get to that outcome whereas those that kind of rush to the outcome or rush to the end to get that perfect jam donut, those are the ones that are you know, unsuccessful. Those are the ones that have that like flat, soggy looking jam donut that no one would even want to touch with a barge pole. But um, I, I think the thing here is, you know, that's exactly kind of how often we approach health and, and health behaviours. We want to rush towards the end, just, you know, taking the ingredients, but not really understanding the methodology and, and just kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it, rather than actually learning and building our skills through a series of failures through a series of iterations to get um to the ideal um you know over over time to get that jam donut that we like and that's tasty now everyone's gonna yeah. be craving jam donuts <laughs> i know yeah even me like a warm jam donut and actually yeah. as you were talking there um i, I see that in myself and it there's sort of um they're almost like invisible skills when you're talking about stuff through the perspective of someone who cooks every single day. So as an example, you know, if I was given a set of ingredients, some cumin, some fennel seeds, uh, some oil, onions, uh, you know, some beans, some, some meat, whatever it might be, I know the separate set of skills that combine to create a complete meal. 
So for example, I know that the onions are going to have to be cooked for a minimum of three to four minutes. If you want them more brown and you want them caramelized, then that will be more like 15, 20 minutes. And also to achieve that uh, texture or to achieve that flavor, the cooking temperature needs to be medium to low. If you put it on medium to high, then they're going to cook too fast. And then tempering the spices will take a couple of minutes. So I know if I'm going to use spices in the onions, then those spices need to come at the end or for the last one to two minutes rather than the start, because otherwise you'll burn your spices. And so it's the collection of all these different bits of knowledge that I apply to a recipe creation methodology that, you know, Otherwise, if you're just following the recipe, you, you, don't, you don't learn those individual sweet skills and you're just following along blindly and you'll never learn the skill set to create your own recipes, which is ultimately what we're trying to create, a behavior change that enables you to look at a set of ingredients and know that's healthy. I know how to cook that. And this is how I'm going to create a meal tonight from these random set of ingredients. Yeah, exactly that. And it's almost like, you know, showing people the steps that you know in the way you break it down and I um I've been playing around with your app I've been looking um, (laughs) doing the trial but the way you break it down even the the images you know and it's like this is what it looks like this is what it looks like so you can actually create that it it makes it less intimidating makes Mm. it more likely that you want to engage with something like that um over time but like you say you it's it's almost like when you're too close to it you can't really tell but they're all little micro skills um, mm. that you can develop over time. And the beautiful thing about those things are is once you kind of get it once, then that's always available to you. That, mm. that knowledge will always be there. Like once you try your, you know, spring greens in five minutes, because I was always like, what do I do with spring greens? I have no <laughs> yeah. idea. And I was always a bit intimidated by them because I was like, there's no way I can make them taste good. Um, you know, once you try it once, then you know, you've got that in the bag, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a, that's a tool in your toolkit. Um, and you can go on to learn a new or, or bigger things. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's a beautiful way to actually teach people lifelong skills that they, that will stay with. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I want to dive into a bit about the skill power versus willpower, but I, I know people would have picked up on something that you said earlier, um, which is this concept around losing weight without dieting. I wonder if we could talk about that because I think when most people think about diet, they think about a 30-day challenge or a 90-day sort of uh, set of ingredients that you follow alongside an exercise regime. And we know the evidence is there that you will lose weight. But then also when you track said person or people over time, you'll see them actually increase beyond the the weight point that they started with and sometimes go even further up and you see this sort of yo-yo pattern where actually the trend is going up and we've talked about it on the podcast before with a number of obesity researchers talking about weight set point but i believe it also has its grounding in in behavior change and and just like we were saying if you don't have that skill set to understand how to maintain a healthy diet then you're always going to be you know at the mercy of the next diet so i wonder if we could talk a bit about the, this concept of of losing weight without dieting and, and how uh the other sort of inputs uh factor into one maintaining their weight and losing it yeah and i'd love to tell you that it's one thing <laughs> oh, yeah of course <laughs> um, but it, it never is 
um, you know, it's always a, a culmination. And, and again, I suppose it's like the methodology. You've got to find, you know, what works for you. Some people, like you said, you know, with the onion recipe, some people like really crispy ones. Some people like them slightly undercooked. You know, you've got to find the flavor um, of, of behavior change that works for you. Um, but I, I think one of the issues I see with, you know, um, I suppose non-behavioral science-led um, weight loss programs are that there is an overly there's an overt focus on the scales, um, there's an overt focus on achieving a particular number, and as we know from the science, you know, weight loss is never really um, that linear, um, you know, and there are plateaus and there are setbacks and everything else, um, and so. Um, Inevitably, if you're overly focused on that outcome alone, um, you're going to feel like a failure sooner or later because there's no way you can ever sustain, um, you know, long term, keep losing weight. Um, and, and I don't know, one thing that I think is really important is that actually people look at non-weight loss or non-scale related um, wins. Um, so the fact that they, you know, learn to make an omelette from scratch or the fact that they, you know, have started going for a walk in the park um, or the skills that they have developed because those are the things that are going to last with you. It's not the, you know, the weight on the scales becomes arbitrary after a while or it becomes another stick to beat yourself with after a while. But when we overly focus on those outcomes, you know, we're quite extrinsically motivated. And I, I call extrinsic motivation slippy motivation. It's the type of motivation that you need, like, you know, your friends to say well done or for people to comment on your weight loss or for... um even your doctor to tell you you're doing well, you know, um, it's not really, it's, it's external motivation. You know, it's, it's almost that feeling you get when you've been scrolling on Instagram for too long, you know, that kind of icky feeling and like a disconnected feeling. Whereas, um, intrinsic motivation on the other hand is what I, I call sticky motivation. And so this is things like, you know, you pr- things that you focus on in the process of weight loss. So it's things about like, you know, how, you know, exercising more makes you feel more energized, how you've taken back up golf after not playing for years or tennis or whatever it is, how, you know, having a hot water with lemon first thing in the morning makes you feel refreshed and revived. Um, you know, it's it's actually the joys that um, being healthy um, brings back. And I, I think actually when we focus on what we can add in rather than what we take away when it comes to weight loss, it makes it just actually more a pleasant process as well. Um, because even, you know, Rupi used the word there, regime, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be a regime. Um, it can be a, a routine. Um, but the problem is that we get so focused on that number. And if that number doesn't tell us what we want, you know, does that motivate us to keep going? You know, um, often it doesn't. Often people will kind of step back. There's really interesting scales that's been developed by a a behavioral designer and um it's actually color coded um rather than actually having um numbers on it so it just tells people you know where they are in a range um and it, it's to help people kind of you know be able to normalize fluctuations because fluctuations are a normal part of the weight loss process but it's also um you know to help them stay engaged with their progress but in a way that they're not fixated on a particular number a way that they don't hang their self-esteem on a particular number because you could have been you know 
eating really healthy foods, really enjoying it, exercising, um, getting really into everything. But if the scales didn't tell you the right number, you're like, well, I'm just going to pack it all in, you know, and I'll start again, um, you know, in January or on Monday or whenever, you know, the the deadline you create for yourself is. Um, and so I think it's just really, really important that we kind of start moving away from overly outcomes focus and start working on the process and actually finding. And one thing I always tell people is when they start off in a weight loss journey is um start with a list of what brings you joy what where can you find joy in your healthy habits because you know if you can find joy then the rest becomes easy and I think that's a really really important thing um and both it's it's, it's evidence-based as well because we know that those that enjoy the habits I've most basically the habits you enjoy are the habits that you stick to um and that's why um at the start as well, we need this experimentation phase. I never like to call it failure because failure is, is such a valuable part of the process. So we need to experiment just like, you know, um, you do with a recipe, you know, to find, okay, does the parsley go <laughs> in this frittata or does it taste better with coriander? Um, you know, all of those things to find that what works for you. And so we actually need a series of failures at the start to get to ultimately um, you know that method in the recipe for our health that works for us yeah absolutely I, I I love that sort of focus on joy and those different elements it's it's something that I've been very conscious to implement in every aspect actually of the doctor's kitchen you know whether it's um, the the books uh, the stuff we talk about on the website the way in which we conduct uh, our our articles and like the humor that we try to input into their you know joy and the flavorful and the deliciousness of food and the celebration aspect of food is something that I kind of want to bring to the forefront and actually you're probably privy to um, some of this research that came out of I believe Stanford and Alicia Crumb's group about how if you describe food with the flavorful aspects of it first that makes it a lot more desirable for someone not uh prioritizing the healthy it might still be a healthy recipe but if you prioritize the flavorful uh aspects of it people are more likely to opt into it and stick to that way of eating which is something that i've always kind of drilled into the way i do recipes now because I know I shouldn't be leading with the fact that, okay, it's got all these anti-inflammatory chemicals in and, you know, this has been shown to be beneficial for X, Y, Z. It's actually, no, this is going to taste amazing and this is the reason why and just so happens to be really healthy for you as well. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I, ultimately, isn't that what life's about? It's about finding little joys, you know, that yeah. that, that actually keep us going day to day. And um, I think health has got a bad rep, you know, and, and I, I think it's because we're really hard on ourselves about it. And um, mm. we all become overnight perfectionists, you know, as soon as we try and change our, our habits. And actually, you know, I like to say habits are for life, not just for January. You know, it's mm. it's it's not like, you know, if you think about how we all have, it's just, you know, brushing our teeth in the morning. Um, it's not like we do all our dental hygiene in January and then we're done for the rest of the year. <laughs> if you're not following, no longer following it, you know, it's no longer a habit. But if you're going to adopt these, why not make them, you know, habits that you enjoy um, mm. and, and that bring you joy? And even the habit of actually um it's a succession of habits but learning to cook different dishes and everything else like even just a process of that can be quite a mindful meditative and joyful ritual but if you're coming at it from the constraint of i have to do this i should do this mm -hmm. and interesting in the research they've shown that like 
have to goals versus want to goals. Um, so if you feel like you have to do something and you use that particular language, you're much more, much less likely to carry on. Um, but if you feel like you choose to do something and, 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 you know, you're doing it for the joy and the delight, it brings you, um, it, you know, it's much more likely to sustain that habit. And it's yeah. interesting because we, we all do it. Like, you know, think about when you, when you join a gym for the first time. You know, you scan the gym floor and you're like, right, what's the hardest, um, you know, piece of equipment that I could use? What's that, um, you know, that bike that's like the assault bike? You know, you're the like, okay, bike. right, I'm going to have on. Very yeah. hard. <laughs> you're like, that looks like the hardest or, you know, the step master or whatever. Um, you know, we all, they, there's a really interesting study um, where they looked at, you know, the fact that people tend to go for what they feel like they could benefit from the most mm. rather than actually what they enjoy the most um, but those that go for what they enjoy the most tend to be the ones that stick to it um, and actually while we're talking about Katie Milkman um, who does a lot of um, behavioral science work she has a really funny study that actually would have been quite a fun one to be part of where they got two groups of women to exercise um, and they told one group of women that they're going to do walking but it's they're walking for fun it's for recreation it's for fun and they told another group of women that they were walking for exercise um, and so it was for fitness it's for exercise um, and after Afterwards, they brought them back and they got them to do a series of questionnaires and those that were walking um, for exercise um, next to the questionnaires they had this big bowl of M&Ms um, and the, <laughs> they compared those that walk for exercise versus those that walk for fun and how much M&Ms they ate and those that walk for fun ate significantly less <laughs> M&Ms oh, than those way. that walk for exercise and you know they hypothesized that that was due down, down to the restriction um, with the kind of deprivation that those that had to walk for fun you know or walk for exercise because of the regime you know for for fitness um that they they felt more deprived and more like they were missing out so they overcompensated and ate ate more whereas those that walk for fun um you know ate less because they didn't feel that deprivation they felt like they chose to do it um, and they enjoyed it that's amazing you know what i i come across so many of these like behavioral psychology studies and i just think it must be so fun to be a researcher because yeah. there, there are like, you know, these little, little hacks of like, oh, you think we're, <laughs> we're testing like, you know, how many miles you've, you've walked or like, you know, your, your calorie ex- uh, uh, expenditure. But actually, <laughs> the yeah. crux of the, the experiment is the number of M&Ms that we just so happen to put right next to your form. Like there's so many little tweaks like that that I've come across in behavioral yeah. psychology research. It's brilliant. They, they've got such like incredibly creative minds. Yeah, it's hard though. It's very hard to get ethics for some of those things because there's an element of deception, um, which can often be quite tricky. So you've got to be a real psychologist in terms of how you word word the way around that. Um, but yeah, no, I I absolutely I get such a buzz from from some of these studies, and um, they're really really interesting. Yeah, I remember actually um, there was a study. I can't remember the details of it now, but I think the cohorts were being shown um, some sort of like sad, um, not images, but like sad videos or something. And they Mm. had some donuts at the back of the room and some of them were stale. 
And I think like, you know, the number of stale donuts consumed correlated with, you know, the emotions that these guys must have been feeling when they were watching this video. And that was actually what they were being tested, but they were deceived into, oh, dece- deceive is a, is a big word, but like they, they were being told that the, the research study was about something else. So, you know, it's, it's those little things that I, I just find fascinating. Yeah, there, there's there's some I know there's it's it's kind of actually been a bit um, controversial at the moment, but um, there's a Brian Wansink. He does a lot of studies in um, he he gave people um, different sized bits of of popcorn when they went to the cinema, and right. even if it was stale popcorn, if you're eating out of a large popcorn box people tend to still eat more no matter if the popcorn is stale they didn't even seem ah, to notice in a way wow. in the cinema but it's, it's to show that like you know when we have those larger portion sizes it's almost like an optical illusion in a way that we overcompensate and eat um significantly more um than if we had a, a, a smaller um size amount and it's not for enjoyment <laughs> that mm. that's just a habitual thing um in terms of actually when we're given larger portions and so uh, the argument there was that we need to to you know have more kind of bite-sized options for people and smaller portions because we actually can't mentally do the the calculations um when we get a, a larger portion size and it's easier you know out of sight out of mind is it's much easier um than actually having to rely like i say on your willpower which is you know an unreliable resource because as soon as you get in an argument or get cranky or don't have enough sleep or um yeah. get a bit hungry <laughs> your willpower is out the window and it's not going to serve you so um yeah those studies have been quite interesting yeah super fascinating so you you've you talked a, a bit about like the academia side and 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 how your the arc of your career has sort of uh, progressed and now it's into the digital side well, when did you start getting involved in in digital apps and digital uh, programs what well, when was your sort of like first um uh, experience with that yeah, good question. Um, well, actually, in my as part of my PhD, I did design an app. Um, well, oh, right. I say I, I worked with a, with a computer uh, specialist, and he designed the app, and I just kind of annoyed him in the background about how he was writing the code. Um, but it was that was my kind of first dabble into it. And what we did was we designed an app to track when people were most tempted and why. Um, and we gave it to people over time and we, um, you know, sent them notifications um, throughout the day. Um, and we also got them to um, fill it in when they did give in to temptation. And I thought that was a really interesting way of monitoring um, people's uh engagement you know basically tracking people whereas before you know we had diaries and people had to write things down and it was very arduous and you had to remember to bring this big thing with you and everything else Mm. um whereas like something we all have everywhere we go often is our phone and Mm. I, i think that's what's really interesting about you know a huge part of um behavioral science is context and now we have this whole new context or environment in our in our lives, which is our phone, and then yeah. it's always with us, and for for better and for good, you know. And I think for for good in ways that you know, it's often hard to get you know hard to reach patients to self present for certain interventions. Um, you know, I certainly know that we we ran a, a nationwide um, behavioral. Um, 
change intervention for for people with long-term conditions and you know one of the biggest barriers was you know accessibility finding a location that was on a good bus route that had enough uh, disabled parking that um you know was the right time of day that people didn't have to take off work um you know a lot of people had children they had to be minded if they went to a particular location they had to get people to drive them there were so many barriers whereas like I think what's really exciting and interesting about digital health is it breaks down and removes a lot of those barriers even the barriers of self-presentation at an intervention you know mm-hmm. um you know showing up and saying you know I'm someone that wants to you know, lose weight, manage my condition better, you know, get fitter or whatever else. Actually, if you've got that in your phone, you're less obviously self-conscious or self-concerned um, mm. about it at the same time as well. So, um, yeah, I kind of started working for companies that actually um, had um, more of a digital um focus in terms of health and well-being um and for better and for worse because you know some a lot of people kind of pay lip service to behavioral change they think if they're trying to change a behavior then they're using behavioral science but it isn't always the way and and and, you know often people will say well it's a weight loss app and I'll say well what's what are the behaviors that you're trying to change? And they're like, oh, we're, we're trying to help people lose weight. And I'm like, yeah, but what are the behaviors within that? Mm. Um, and often people don't understand, well, what are the behaviors that we need to see? How do we monitor those behaviors? How do we understand those behaviors to get the particular outcomes then that we want? And a lot of, that's where I see a lot of apps fall down. Um, and also, sorry, I could go on, but there's so many other things. But even, you know, with digital programs, people don't realize that you have to make the digital program or app a habit in itself before you even start getting, you know, users um, to even develop habits within that product. So you have to make, mm. you know, the app or the digital program sticky. So like you said, you know, making it fun, making it colorful, the tone of voice that you use, but also, you know, tapping into people's intrinsic motivation in a supportive way and helping people feel heard and understood. And, you know, there's so many elements I, I'll stop there, but, you know, I think, one of the things it's it, I think it's a really exciting field I definitely think it's in its infancy we don't have enough long-term evidence on the effectiveness um but um it's exciting it's a new way of actually you know getting into people's lives in a way that meets them where they're at causes them mm-hmm. less hassle um and I think one thing in behavioral sciences there's two big things actually there's friction and fuel and, and so friction is, you know, anything that kind of gets in the way. Um, and, you know, clever digital programs are good at reducing friction. So if we think about a classic one that we might all know is how Netflix does this by uh, preloading the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> so it reduces the friction to us binge watching. We don't have to go out and go in and, you know, all of that Um or even, you know, actually doing um, digital forms rather than having to go into, you know, our GP's office or the pharmacy to fill them out um, can be, you know, can lighten the load for people or even, you know, not having to take a half day off work to go see the doctor face to face now that there's, you know, options for digital consults that can make it more accessible for people, maybe that have children or, you know, um, a job that they can't take time off from. Um, so we could, we want to always enhance um, or reduce friction for the behaviors that we want to engage with and almost enhance friction then for the behaviors that we don't want to don't want, yeah. um, engage with so 
make them harder to do essentially like you know I've got a thing on my phone um that doesn't let me on anything except for um work related stuff you know from 9 a.m onwards um you know and that just you know it's just a small barrier now I can take it off if I want to or whatever else but it's just one small barrier Mm. um that stops me engaging in something that I know is not helpful for me what what app is that that you use that blocks the uh it's just actually it's on it's on samsung um oh is it okay i've got i've got all sorts and i was trying to voice record this so we had the backup recording and i had to like give myself permission to use this app while i'm in this function and it right it knocks me right off so like i have it on from nine until um and then it comes back on at 9 p.m. again so that I don't engage my phone at night but it literally will knock you off the app so you'll be halfway through a text message to your mom and <laughs> you'll be gone um, but uh but it's 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 useful because it basically you know I'd have to use willpower to stay off my phone mm. and phones are very um sticky products they're very addictive um you know for better and for worse and so it actually just is a is another way another nudge to actually say come on Heather like you know enough's enough and now it's mm. time to get back into the real world and um, so it can be quite helpful um I mentioned there friction, but there's also fuel as well. And I think fuel is really important to think about. And, um, you know, people often talk about motivation and, you know, we need lots of motivation. It's not really about how much motivation we need. It's more about what fuels that motivation. And I know we talked about intrinsic motivation there, you know, the sticky motivation, the motivation that's like internal. It's from you, you know, it's that being healthier and what it gives you back in life, you know, for for my self-management patients, it was, you know, that they were able to walk to get the bus, like walk to the bus stop. So then, you know, the whole world was open to them then. Um, or they were able to, you know, play football in the garden with their grandson or, um, you know, it, it was, it, instead of exercise feeling like a fearful and a really kind of regimented thing, it was about, you know, when we started to reframe it for them, about what it gave them back. Um, that really, really helped fuel their motivation um, mm. in, a, in a positive way. Um, and there's ways we can do that within digital products as well. Um, and a lot of that is around, um, I, I, I'm quite um, enamored with self-determination theory, um, which is theory of um, motivation, which I, I, I'm sure you've heard about. But um, there's yeah, over 40 years of research showing that, you know, it's, it's a really effective way um, in which to support long-term engagement. And um, and what I mean by that is um, self-determination theory is just a theory of motivation, about essentially the fuel of motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's it, it says that each individual, each person is fueled by kind of three basic needs. And those needs are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So autonomy being that we want to have ownership, we want to have freedom in our choices. Um, competence being that we want to feel confident um, in our competence or our ability to do things. We want to feel like we're progressing and we're getting better. And then there's relatedness, that we want to feel part of something that's bigger than ourselves, part of, um, part of you know, um, a community. And, and, and when we enhance these needs or when these needs are fully met, then individuals can thrive. And they've shown that time and time again. Um, and they've shown in terms of lifestyle habits, if we can enhance these needs, then we're much more likely to sustain those lifestyle habits over time. And it, someone is much more likely to be intrinsically motivated, much more likely to enjoy the behaviours that they're carrying out. 
Um, but there's multiple ways we can do that within digital products as well, which is quite exciting. Um, which I yeah, can speak actually, to if it's of well. yeah, no, for sure. I mean, as you were talking about a number of different things, I want to touch on uh, self determination theory. <laughs> you you think about it and you can see some of the best digital products out there really leaning into that and into those different facets. So autonomy, you know, you're on your own journey through the app, you know, you choose which parts you want to go down, uh, the, the competency and actually reinforcing that. So, you know, when you, when you get badges and you get sort of like, uh, uh, reaffirmed that you are progressing, uh, and you're actually collecting skills and then the relatedness, you know, the little feature about how many people are also using the app or how many people, you know, Wordle, for example, very, very, very interesting uh, feature um, that this, uh, this five letter word game that went viral during lockdown is the number of people who took X number of tries to get uh, the word today. And you might be, you know, above average or below average or, you know, part of the, the, the mode. Uh, that the number of people um, uh, that that took to get to that particular letter, you know, that kind of reaffirms like, oh, I'm not just pay- playing this game in isolation. I'm actually part of a community of wordlers or whatever they call themselves. And then the the other elements that I I really enjoyed you talking about were the friction and fuel. So you can see some of the apps, uh, particularly in the social media space, really pushing both of these in ways like reducing friction you know straight away you're in the search page whenever you open up a social media page fuel you know likes really good fuel you know it just taps into that dopamine fueled pathway uh the the follow account the commenting all that kind of stuff these are all like mini peps of fuel you know if you think about like um Mario, you know, he's collecting those like flower powers and he just like goes like double speed, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. You, you can really tell um, how certain uh, dish wraps are, are using uh, uh, fuelers. Um, and, and there's ways in which we can learn from that as well. I think, I think social media obviously has got a bad, a bad rep, but if you, if you learn and you actually like dive into what kind of triggers they're using, you can also use that for good as well to enhance positive behaviors. And, and the whole element of the the digital environment, you know, is clearly accelerated by COVID. No longer was it an opt-in to use telemedicine. You had to use telemedicine. We just don't see your general practitioner. You don't see your consultant. I think it's really sort of um, accelerated what what is likely to have been inevitable anyway, um, which I think is a, is a good thing. And there, there are even some examples pre-pandemic of countries with poor healthcare infrastructures that have sort of leapfrogged using telemedicine. So there's an example in uh, Rwanda where um, a telemedicine company essentially uh, allowed an, an increased distribution of doctors per capita by basically leaning into digital uh, phones because everyone all of a sudden had mobile devices, smartphones, and they can now see their GPs. Whereas before, pre that telemedicine era, we would have had to pop up multiple healthcare centers, which obviously has distribution costs. It has, you know, everything that's uh, 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 an, an issue when it comes to creating healthcare centers in uh, deprived areas. So, and, and that's another reason why I decided to go into the Doctor's Kitchen app well, because I really wanted to enter into that digital sphere that I think is going to be so important because no longer is it a case of, 
us having to compete with uh, junk food stores in the high street. It's also competing with junk food stores that you can order food from at the touch of a button on your delivery app. So, you know, me moving into this space was sort of like a natural direction because it, it's just the way people are going to be going. And I think that's really interesting. Um, even what you mentioned there about the apps, it's about, they call it in behavioral science, choice architecture. Um, so how do we, um, you know, uh, change the environment? And even, you know, our phones in themselves are a micro environment. Um, you know, we can put out our, our trainers last thing at night and we can have, you know, our our gym kit out and, and everything, you know, and, or the book that we want to read in an obvious position. But we can also do the same with our phones. Like, like you know, like we were talking about, I have um, things, different modes set up that switch automatically so I'm not on certain apps. But it's also about, I often encourage people to do a bit of an audit um, of, their, of their phone environment. You know, when you open your home page, what are the first apps you see? What are the first notifications you see? Are they aligned with what your goals are right now in life? So, for example, you know, if you're trying to meditate more, are your notifications around meditation? Are, you know, you getting quotes about um, how to stay calm? Are you got getting alerts or, or calendar invites for different times of day when you can actually take a breath? Um and or are the things that are alerting you things that actually are taking you away from the things that matter most to you, like, you know, staying in a positive headspace and everything else. So I would say to everyone listening, um, you know, take a look at your app, your phone right now. What are the notifications you're receiving? What is on your home page? Um, because, you know, it's proximity determines the choices to which we engage with. You know, there's interesting um, studies that show, you know, the further away they move a bowl of M&Ms, the less likely we are to eat more of them. But the closer they are, the more likely we are. And like you say, you know, if you're getting all these delivery app messages around, you know, foods that are unhealthy and you're trying to, you know, eat a healthier diet, um, then, you know, it's, it's, it's time that you spent just five minutes going in and working out how to take those notifications off and moving what's most important to you to your home screen. Um, and like you say now, you know, Doctor's Kitchen is offering us another option in that environment. And actually one thing they really like about the app um is that you you talk about some of these environmental barriers in it you know you break them down in terms of like this is freezer friendly this um recipe only takes x amount of minutes you know these are the things like so i have an injury at the moment and so i need to know that i can make i I find it quite hard to stand so i need to know i can make something in less than 15 minutes um i need to know that i can make it for one and i know that it's got a really cool thing that you can make it for one to as many people as you want um all at once but like you know these are all little environmental um friction things um that actually when you remove them it adds positive fuel um but i think what you said is you know coming to the digital space and being in the digital space and being a support there in people's pockets is really really important now because that's the exposure that we have day in day out that's what we're consuming and if we think about it, if you are what you eat you know be careful of your media diet because you know that is what we're consuming now way more than than anything else and so let's let that be something that actually supports rather than towards our goals yeah, I'm really glad you picked up on some of those uh, features because prior to launching the app in January of this year, 2022, um, we 
had, had done like extensive research with our community members via the newsletter. We brought people into the studio. We we did questionnaires. This is actually pre-pandemic. Um, it's been going on for a little while now. And one of the questionnaires uh, that we sent out was a long questionnaire. It was about a 30 question uh, questionnaire survey. And we had 4,000 responses. And we asked them specifically about their particular health barriers. So what barriers to healthy eating they um, uh, they isolated. And obviously, I went through every single one. Uh, we had some choices, but we had the other where people could, could go into uh, their personal reasons. And a lot of people struggle because of fatigue, because of a particular chronic condition, uh, because of injury sometimes, um, you know, to, to actually cook a meal that's longer than 20, 30 minutes. And so one of the things that I wanted to make sure was that we had meals that were no or low cook, so actually required uh, minimal cooking time, which I think is also very important in the context of the cost of living crisis, but also no chop. Because a lot of people actually said they didn't yeah. have the culinary skills. And so Ooh. I wanted to create like a whole category of recipes where it's literally like, okay, paste goes in. Uh, these ingredients I can just tear with my hands, that goes in. And then like, you know, bag of, of spinach washed, that goes in. So literally like no sort of need for a chef's knife because there is definitely a need for that. And I think that's a really good entry point for people who ultimately might want to, you know, learn the skills and the basics of, of chopping Ooh. and all the rest of it. But also, you know, a, a starting, we're starting out there sort of. Uh, that, or if you've that got level. kids around and you don't want to be wielding a knife, you know. 100%, they, right? I, and even even <laughs> when you said that to me, it made me smile because actually, like yeah, I get really bad back pain. So often it's it's often triggered by chopping. So actually having the no chop option like that, you you don't even realize you know it's helping so many people in in different ways. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and as you were talking about um, choice architecture on, on my personal phone, um, so I have my uh, my email and my diary, uh, two apps that I use religiously. That my diary basically just runs my life, my, my Google Calendar. Um, those are on the home pages, along with a couple other things like my podcast, my podcast app, and uh, my Audible subscription. Because I know that these are things that like I allow myself to sort of indulge in uh, whenever mm. I'm commuting and all, all the rest of it. And the social media apps are literally on like the third or fourth page. So even though it's a little, you know, it's just a few flicks of your finger, but it's that little friction that, you know, just reminds me, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, potentially go into a social media like time zone here where I'm just going to be sucked into, into the app. So it's that, that little sort of choice architecture that I've instigated on my phone that I think is, is really helpful for me. And it might, might be helpful for other people too. Yeah, and I think I think that's so important. Any of those kind of yeah frictions you can you can add in. It's it's kind of almost like, you know, when you're too hungry and you just open the cupboard and you're like looking around for something to have versus when you've got a healthy snack prepared and it's ready to go. You know, um, it, it's it's just a way of keeping you on track with what's important to you. Um, and I, I think that's really really important. And I, I think it's important that we do step back and even you know within our social media. When we think about, you know, 
what are the goals that I wish to create this year? So say you're, you know, you're starting a new business or um, you're going back to university, you know, who are the people then that you can follow that are going to expose you in a way that's going to positively um, reinforce that goal? And, you know, that while they might be kind of subliminal or non-conscious messages through repetition, um, you know, they do, um, you know, help you form opinions and form values and, and, and a lot of things. And we wouldn't, we don't really give enough credit to how much our non-conscious mind absorbs as well um and so you know it can it can be a force for good in that way and um, that actually can help reinforce our goals I know um certain elements you know you can follow certain researchers like nerds like me and you um that love like you know to find out the new papers and and everything else and it can get you exposed to things that maybe you will have missed um before so it can be quite positive but I love what you say about yeah like having the apps on a different page or in a particular folder or even, you know, if you want to take it to the next level, being conscious of your consumption of them and saying, well, this is my time of day that I use this. Um, you know, and, and actually I've, I've, I've got this, this three hour window where I engage with this and, you know, I can go to town in this time. Um, but the rest of the day is when I focus on other things that are important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I thought it might be fun to do some uh, some live workshopping for, for the app as it is. Oh, so, you know, we're, yeah. we've got, uh, we've got um, you know, a, a few things that we have created on the basis of where people struggle with, with healthy eating because the whole goal of the, of the app is to help people eat well consistently. And so within that, you know, going further up, upstream, what are the behaviors that we need to try and encourage to allow people to achieve that goal of eating well consistently for the downstream uh, goals of like preventing uh, conditions, maybe even supporting conditions, all the other sort of health goals that we have within that. And so, you know, we've done some categories, the no chop, the low cooking. Uh, We're also doing one with leftovers. Um, We are doing one with less than five ingredients. We have a cost one as well that we're we're working on at the moment for less than a pound a portion. So there's definitely certain categories that we can sort of isolate. But I think like thinking about the app wider, you know, we're currently just a a, a library of recipes that you can filter according to dietaries, allergens, um, to make it more accessible for your family members and all the rest of it. And the ultimate aim is to integrate it with with supermarkets um, that we're actively working on. So you can create a quick meal plan in a couple of clicks, uh, and then it integrates with supermarkets. So it's akin to a digital uh, meal kit, but at the convenience and the price of a normal supermarket Removing friction. Removing friction. Removing friction completely. (laughs) Yeah. And then ultimately, you know, I'd love to get to the point where we partner with vetted uh cloud kitchens that we know can prepare the food to our standards and using like really high quality ingredients that can be delivered to your door when you want it because let's face it everyone experiences times in their week where they can't be bothered to cook and you know the default option is to go for a takeaway because that's going to be the quickest and the easiest we want to make sure that there is also a quick, easy option for healthy food as well. So that's sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. blue sky thinking down the down the road. But in terms of like but creating isn't that those crazy that that's blue sky thinking in a way, because like sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, that it's crazy to even conceive that we could get <laughs> healthy food quickly. You know, yeah. you know? Like it's like why why is that? 
crazy and, yeah. and then that's something that we need to address in like you know I, I commend you in in that goal um and I don't mean to laugh about it but it's 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 you know that should be something that is available to us all um totally so, you know it's exciting that we're getting there but isn't it crazy that that's so inaccessible to us even in this day and age 100 percent, and i and i really feel that at some point in the future they will be heavily subsidized as well because if we can demonstrate the cost effectiveness of providing a cheaper option than the junk food options and we can demonstrate that people are more likely to opt in because they are price sensitive and they enjoy that food um, and it's more and more convenient, then yeah, I, I definitely see it, you know, something that could be rolled out on a, on a grand scale. And I really hope we get to that point, but it's going to take uh, a lot of lobbying, <laughs> I think, in, yeah. in that respect. Um, but yeah, so in terms of like, you know, we're going to have like a basic section where we, we teach you the basics of, you know, how to chop onions and, and how to make your spring greens and how to use leftovers and, and that kind of stuff. But in terms of like, you know, other elements of uh, behavior change that we can instill in an app um, such as ours, as we're thinking about other areas, what what are the, the areas you think that we should be uh, learning perhaps from other apps and, and maybe instigating uh, uh, in our, in our own? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think you, you alluded to it earlier and you gave some amazing examples of, um, you know, I would start even from the platform of creating an app around autonomy, competence and relatedness. And I know you mm. do, you touch on a lot of these things um, within the app. But as a starting point, I'd almost, you know, potentially in the onboarding process or um, when people first come in, but I'd really want to understand what are, and you might have this through your user testing, but what are people's motives for engaging in the first place? You know, what does it give them back in their life? What is their why behind using it? Um, because if people can see how it delivers to them, how it gives them back, you know, more freedom, more time, more energy, um, you know, more focus, um, you know, better long-term health, be able to, you know, if I was to be really crude about it, like be able to stick around long enough to see your par- your children get married, you know, what whatever it is, if, if we can kind of look at, you know, what this gives someone back, um, then I think it's a really, really important um, place to get started from that people can then make choices that are meaningful for them so they can really understand. And it can be a question about, it can just be as simple as asking people, you know, why is it important for you? to to use this app um and and even just someone going through that exercise alone um can really help evoke you know and sometimes it can take five whys you know if you say to someone like I want to get fit for example well why do you want to get fitter um oh I want to get fitter because I um I'm at this step challenge at work and I want to get 10,000 steps a day and why do you want to get 10 to enjoying the step challenge oh because you know I want to get more energy and oh why do you want more energy um well you know I you know I find it hard to kind of go through the full day at work and then look after the kids in the evening I'd like to have more for them in the evening um, and why does that matter to you okay well being a positive role model to my children is important to me and if you ask yourself why enough times you know it, it is irritating um but you know you can get to that true root and that's the intrinsic motivation that's the flame that's the ignition and that's what's going to really keep that fire going, keep that fuel going for you long term. It's not that, you know, so and so told you to do to eat healthily. It's not that, you know, it's 
uh, Mary down the road is doing it so you feel like you need to do it too it's actually what it gives you back in your life and if you can create that from the get-go and understand that um, that's a really important um, place to start from and then you can start making meaningful choices and you can see and I know that you've got all the the categories you know the brain health and the anti-inflammatory so you can see that actually these are meaningful foods to engage with um another another key part and um more tapping into the competence piece is what are the barriers so what's going to get in the way of you actually um using this app um is it you know the position on your home screen is it the notifications or is it that you know you might set and forget it and so you know it's important to actually support users to make it easier to engage with your app. And like I said, you know, one of the primary things that's really important with an app is making, using the app a habit itself. So it might be asking people, you know, when and where is it best for you to use this app? And can we support you with notifications around that? Is that something that would be helpful for you? Always asking and making it optional for people, always offering an emergency exit for people because we never want to force or coerce people into anything because that's not autonomous in nature. Um, and so asking people, you know, like, so for example, it might be, oh, I'd love to get a notification at six o'clock, which what is your, your newest dinner recipe? Or on a Sunday afternoon, I might want to learn more about the batch, but like what I can batch cook for this week. Or before I do my shopping on a Thursday, I'd love, you know, the top five recipes that were, people have been using this week um, or whatever it is. It's just bringing it to where people are at and making it easier for them to make the healthier choice. Um, and so understanding, like you've done the work already, understanding what those barriers are and constantly looking at breaking those down. Um, I just did an exercise with people on my newsletter list, which I was asking them to make a friction list and make a fuel list. You know, think about a behavior that you're wishing to change right now. Um, say, you know, you want to get more into healthy eating. What are, you know, all the friction points? What are all the barriers that are getting in the way right now? And then from that list, pick the easiest one and execute on that first and then start to knock off week by week all of those. And at the same time, look at the fuel. What helps you engage more? Is it, you know, getting new recipes, having that variety? And what we know from behavioral science is actually variety and novelty is very engaging for people. You know, unfortunately, that's why the gambling industry does so well, because they've got that variability. They often use that very well in, um, like you said, in social media apps. When you open them up, you often open them up on the Explore tab. So you're, you're instantly getting that variety. You're getting that novelty. And users enjoy that we all don't we we don't want things to be too predictable and um, we do like a little bit of um surprise and delight um and i think that's important and also it also challenges competence over time as well because if once we kind of get a, a competent at you know creating certain recipes we're like okay Ruby, i'm ready for the next challenge you know hit me with the the knife skills or um you know how to make something a little bit more complex because I'm, I'm ready. And, and you, you can even frame that um, in a way in your app as well. So you can frame, you know, those kind of um, MasterChef um, style, you know, um, recipes maybe that require a little bit more time, might require a little bit more skills, but it's, it's a way to learn a new skill. Um, uh, that's certainly from, from a competence point of view, I think it's very important to, like you've done already, like look at those key barriers and keep looking at those, but also asking people, well, what's going to get in the way the most for you and how do we overcome that?
rather than it being kind of all or nothing. So, you know, oh, well, I didn't remember to use the app this week. So now, you know, a, a common example is, you know, we're, we're trying to create a running habit and we go to go outside and it's raining and we're like, oh, well, I can't run today. But like, you know, live in the UK, you know, it's going to rain, you know. So what's the alternative? You know, do you have a like strength and conditioning for runners workout that you do on your phone on an app at that time? Or do you always, you know, is your default to rearrange it for, um, you know, the next morning with a friend? But, you know, we need to have, and they call them in the science, you know, implementation intentions. Um, so we need to have plans in place because we are going to fail. We're not going to follow through because we're human beings. We're free range human beings you know we're not rational <laughs> rational beings at all and so we need to have plans for for failure and so if we can use an app um, and use a digital device to support that we're going to fail but to support bringing things to us when and where matters most to us when and where is going to be most effective for us it means that it'll be much more likely that your app will actually support us in engaging with our goals more frequently and therefore more likely to create habits around it yeah, that, that that's such good advice about, you know, advice uh, for or or methods of how to get back on track because failure is inevitable and failure is something that we need to sort of embrace as well. I think you can really employ a growth mindset when it comes to failure, whatever you describe as failure. Um, I, I wonder if uh, there are apps that you've come across, not necessarily in the healthy eating space and maybe not even in the sort of uh, lifestyle space that you look at and you're like that is genius that is really like everything that i think my research and my 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 experience is as sort of uh dictated would work very well and it you know clearly it, it, it does uh, something whether it's a feature or a suite of features what what things do you think uh that you've come across that that you you really like Great question. Um, I there's an app. No, I I have. I would say I haven't found the perfect app as of yet. Um, but that's, that's good because we're all work in progress. So there's always work to do, and we're we're still learning from a behavioural design point of view. It's not like you know more behaviour change suddenly will will make everyone stick to their habits as well. You've got to test and iterate within your own app to see what you know your audience what works mm. best for them. Um, I would say I really like the um, the fabulous app. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've, you've seen that one. It, it comes out. Yeah, I've um, seen it. Yeah, I think it's Duke University that are behind it. Um, I there's it's not flawless, um, but there's definitely a lot to love about it. And and what I love about it is that it takes people on a journey. Um, and it shows them that, you know, behavioral change, whatever habit that you wish to change, it isn't just about the particular outcomes. It's about going on a journey, learning more about yourself, you know, learning what your likes and dislikes are, learning, you know, how you operate in the context of your life. They also use really affirming language, um, which I think is really important. I know a lot of apps use praise often so they're saying like well done or a good job and we have all had that teacher or that coach that's been constantly like well done good job but it doesn't feel Mm. as meaningful as maybe when someone stops and says you know you've really persisted with this or Mm. you know you've shown your commitment here or you're a very dedicated person you know someone who sees your strengths 
um, can really then evoke that intrinsic motivation in you rather than this kind of surface level praise. Um, mm. And I know that they certainly do that with the fabulous app. You know, they're they're all about actually affirming you as an individual um, and showing you that, you know, behavior change is not something that happens overnight. It's a lifelong process and it is a journey and it has ups and downs and, um, you know, highs and lows. And I, I think that's very, very important that people come into any have a change with that mindset of, you know, this is a lifelong practice, so let's make it an enjoyable one. And they certainly make it fun and enjoyable. And even to the point where, um, you know, I looked at what their process was for quitting the app um, and, you know, what language they used around that. And, and they said that it was a really uh, quite interesting. And they said, like, you know, we're sorry to see you go. Um, I hope it wasn't any mistake. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I probably got this all wrong. But this is the kind of... Um, this is the, the feeling that it gave me. They were like, we're sorry to see you go. We hope it wasn't any mistake on our side. But if we did, you know, we'd be happy to open up a conversation with a behavioral scientist around, you know, what were the reasons that you you wish to leave? Um, and then they present some research on, um, on you know, leaving um, and quitting and, and you know, um, and then re-engaging and how helpful that is. And I just thought it was really interesting um way of actually being really like you know um candid about the fact that you know it's it's completely your your option to leave but we'd love to understand more about why and it shows that they're interested in the long-term um effectiveness of their program as well um and interesting as well they didn't just focus on i think um a lot of apps overly focus on rewards and badges and, and other bits and pieces and whilst they can be useful. They can also be slightly extrinsic motivators. Um, you know, and if you start doing something for a reward or a badge alone, then you know you're not really doing it for the process or the joy of engaging. And while they can be useful at the start, um, and they can be useful if we can link them with something meaningful. Um, so I work with an incredible um company called Thrive Tribe, and we were just talking about one of their apps um recently and it's called a glow glowgy app and um we were talking about actually how we could use rewards and make them actually sim symbols so for for their stop smoking and um, campaign can we use like you know a nose symbol for you know your smell and your taste comes back over time so that actually it's just more meaningful than just having a little badge um on on your on your notice board that you can even just make that association and see what it gives you back so I would say, you know, don't overly rely on rewards and gamification to do the work for you. You need to do the work in terms of actually making the content itself and exciting, being able to equip people with the skills and, um, you know, surprising and delighting people um, whilst building their competence and making them feel like they're part of a, a community um, and that they're related to one another. Um, and actually, I'd be really interested in, in your thoughts about what, what kind of community elements you're thinking about bringing into into your work yeah absolutely um just on that note about affirming language i find that absolutely fascinating it um i remember reading in caroline dweck's book about the language mm. that parents use and why we need to be quite mindful of that so instead of praising in a way that highlights their specific skills like you know oh you're really good at math or you're you're really good at football or you know um, it's 
you tried really hard and oh you persisted with that and you got the answer and you know so you, you're you're highlighting certain uh elements of of their skill set and their behaviors mm. that can be applied and transferred to variety uh a variety of endeavors rather than uh creating an identity that's fixed to a certain activity that then sticks with them throughout their whole life like you know I identify as a doctor and I've actually had to sort of Mm. rip myself out of it not completely but you know you know move myself into like you know I'm also a podcaster I'm also like a cook and a recipe creator I'm also a writer you know all all these different elements that uh, I've Mm. I've had to adopt and and really highlight on my my um the skill set that allows me to to do those and i think actually that's such an important point from habit change because even in in our study of those that managed to create long-term change identity was such a huge piece those that actually saw themselves as someone who was you know lived a healthy lifestyle um, and that was often the switch for people into long-term change was that they started to actually identify as someone who enjoyed um eating well enjoyed you know learning what was seasonal in terms of um you know eating and and vegetables or even grow we had one person who's growing their own veg and for the first time and um it was when they started to create a new identity around it they no longer saw them as some themselves as someone who was a dieter and constantly failing they saw themselves as someone who liked to try out new things they saw themselves as someone who liked the adventure of being healthy they saw themselves you know they it was when they created this new identity that they really kind of stepped into themselves fully and and you know really started to stick with those habits then long term The community element that we're trying to instill within the app and also within the newsletter as well is something that we've been toying around with. So for the last book, the the one that's coming out in January 23, um, we reached out to our community members um, and we had like a, a, like a crazy response. So it's something like 1,500 people. And we asked, uh, we asked everyone, like, you know, do you want to help out with the next book and try out some of the recipes before we go to refine them, shoot them, and put them in the book? Um, and we had this this crazy response, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. And so we had to, you know, collect all their dietaries, send them each individually a a recipe. It was almost like a technical challenge, but with the methodology. So no images, no uh, sort of like uh, direct tips or anything. Just like. These are the ingredients. This is the methodology, and fill out this questionnaire afterwards. And it goes through, you know, accuracy of the ingredients, the timing, the prep, any other thoughts, all this stuff. And we had, honestly, like over a thousand responses that I personally went through every single one to to review. And a lot of people loved that process. They love being part of it, and uh, they want to do it again. And so this is sort of one of the things that we're trying to instill within the the doctor's kitchen newsletter community it's it's more than just you get a an email passively into your email box huh that's quite interesting oh yes i've got a recipe i want to make that this weekend or this week and uh, i can't wait for next week's it's like no i want you to sort of join the community of like this incredible group of foodies who love food and they love healthy lifestyle and they love all the other elements that we like talking about within the newsletter. And I want you guys to meet 
Um, and so we're, we're figuring out how to, to do this, you know, whether it's uh, a Facebook private group, whether it's a discord, whether it's a, uh, a Slack group, like, I, I mean, I have thoughts about uh, groups in, in general, and I just want to make it as frictionless as possible for people to join. Um, but we want to add that kind of element for the for the app as well. So we can release like, you know, recipes that we're testing or uh, categories that we want to introduce. Uh, can we get live feedback from people like, oh, you know what, I'd really like to yeah. have a whole category on cauliflower and like actually you know hundreds of other people or thousands of other people also struggle with the same ingredient or the same issues yeah. with uh cooking for families at home that kind of stuff so really being part of that live conversation that we can react to rather than you know this didactic okay we've got another category now um try it out let us know what you think individually like i think there is a way to make it a lot more collective and enriching the whole sort of epic experience in in that way yeah, I absolutely love that. I think I every good app I've seen is embedded with co-creation and mm. like yours. And it's it's not just about you, Rupee, creating everything. It's actually about your community contributing. Um, you know, people like like you say, like telling you the barriers. So then you're like, right, let's work together. Who's found a way to kind of overcome, you know, who's found a way to make a lasagna healthier, um, but also, you know, created in less than 20 minutes um you know what other vegetables of other people it was actually one thing i really like about the um the app is you know if you don't have a cucumber you offer me other vegetables that i could you know use instead of it um and like you say you know things that people are struggling with you actually like crowdsource that from the community um is so so important so actually using them to drive the content and and to actually help them support others is is the best way really to create that feeling of you're part of something bigger than your own yourself and, and create a sense of purpose and identity around it you know I'm someone who use I don't know if you've got like a a, a kitchen nights I don't know doctor's kitchen nights <laughs> I, I don't have a word um, for them no <laughs> you know you're you're a tribe that there are people that you know really relate with you and and to you and all the work that you've done and and they they want to learn from you but they also want to share themselves as well as they grow and it's a huge part of um, the learning process is that being able to share back and get feedback like that and like you say try new things so um yeah that's such an important part it's like and I think you touched on a little bit there as well it relatedness has to be done very subtly and in a way that actually is related to what the community wants rather than just creating forums um that are people aren't subscribing to or there might be one or two people that are really engaged with it but it's not actually um, supporting the rest of the community relatedness has to be done in a way that's actually going to be just not a box ticking exercise that it actually is beneficial and I love that you actually haven't got a structured plan because you're like right well let's put it out to the community and see what people respond to and what they want to engage with and what they're going to derive value from because otherwise what's the point in having it if they're not going to derive value and another point on that in terms of apps is relatedness isn't just your community, but it's also how you communicate through your app as well. You know, your tone of voice, how accessible your pictures are, how accessible your language is, um, you know, how you talk about it as well um, for people, how you tell them about the value and the benefits that it has, all of that. Um, as well as helping people feel seen and heard um, like you have through the research um, and, and continually collecting that data as well um, is a really important part of creating relatedness in, in a digital world.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so many. It's funny because because um, everything is is bootstrapped uh, for for the app at the moment. So there's there's obviously cost uh, uh, prohibitions for what I really want to do. Like I've got all these great ideas and like you know ways in which to engage people more and have training recipes and like you know, the, the, there's so many uh, elements of features that we've collected from the community because at the end of every i'm so glad you you noticed the alternatives that's actually been a really positive feature for, for a lot of people as well again that came out of the research because one of the health barriers were uh oh i, I like using recipes uh but then i i come across a recipe and then i don't have these certain ingredients or i haven't heard certain ingredients mm-hmm. and i don't really know what the alternatives are and i can't be bothered to google like what can i use instead of because i don't know whether i can actually substitute a courgette with an aubergine in this particular recipe and sometimes yeah. you can't sometimes it does require the original ingredient and so one of the things that we we did in our recipe creation process is always think about okay can you change the beans here to something completely different can you change the the carrots to another starchy vegetable would it work given the the cooking times and everything that we have for this particular recipe so the alternatives there and also the send recipe feedback at the bottom that I personally respond to all of them. Like, uh, you know, it, it can be positive feedback, which, you know, it is 90% of the time. Other times they might have picked up issues, which we fix straight away. But also we're also gleaming like uh, whether people love this recipe. Okay, it's like, okay, that's the fuel for us to go and yeah. create some more of these, you know, in the same similar sort of vein. Um, obviously with, with a pinch of salt and making sure that we're being reflective of the entire community of, um, uh, of, of uh, app users. Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's been a, a really good, like enjoyable process thus far. And I just, I've got lots of plans for it as we, as we, as we go forward. And I just want to make it the, the most, uh, user-friendly accessible and behavior changing, uh, app there is out there. Um, given the, <laughs> the, the constraints of, uh, of, uh, of, of the cost and everything, as you know, it's a, it's a very expensive endeavor to, to, yeah. <laughs> to get Although into. In, in a way, like. You know, it's it's good to start with, and I, I I often talk about this in terms of habits. Like, you know, you have your MVP, your minimum viable product, but you know, mm. I call it an MVH. You know, your minimum viable habit. You know, when we're yeah. creating any change in our life, you know, we want to start in the, the smallest, tiniest way to see what works and what sticks and what doesn't. And um, I think, in a way, those constraints are going to lead to ultimately creating a better product and one that's mm. way more tailored toward and supportive of your community um and so in a way you know it's frustrating but it, it you know it, it's it's a useful way of actually really tailoring and personalizing things to make sure that they're super super um targeted and focusing on adding value back yeah absolutely i yeah i have to think about it for through that lens actually because uh you know if we did have uh, this yeah <laughs> if we had the silicon valley style uh startup where you raise a buttload of money, then we probably would have like, you know, introduced all these features right at the same time and made it super, super complicated rather than doing it in the lean oh. sort of way in which we're doing, which is like very targeted to the the most important needs of 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 most of the users rather than, you know, just the needs of a few that we feel like would be a fun thing to have or a nice thing to have rather than something that's actually useful. Um we've talked simple simple apps are the best like you know like i i think about like another example of one that is is great is the headspace you know it's very mm. very simple 
um, to use very, very um, easy to engage with, you know, and it gives you options for, you know, you can do the head, the meditation of the day, you can do it for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, um, uh, and it's variable. Um, and like you say, you know, actually being forced to um, be quite lean in your approach can be really useful because the bells and whistles can be distracting. They can mm. be confusing. They can be overwhelming because we're not only trying to build people's competence and confidence to cook, we're trying to build their confidence and competence to actually use the app as well. And if people can instantly feel unsuccessful or overwhelmed, they're not going to engage. And so we want people to feel like they can actually operate and navigate the app well um, from the get-go. It's like almost like going into the supermarket, um, you know, and, and for the first time and, 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 you know, not knowing where anything is and what the aisles are or anything else. You know, we want to be, you know, that trusted friend that actually can help guide someone through that process and, and really help support them in getting to where they need to be. Yeah, that's that's exactly the intentions uh, of the app as well. We're we're, we're creating um, sort of like a tiers as well. So right now it's a premium app uh, with a with a free trial, but there is definitely a use case for um, a freemium version, which we're we're actively working on. In fact, it might come out by the time this this goes out, where you can check into the app and you can dip in and see some recipes that will change every now and then. Um, so you get a feel for like the recipes and if you feel like, you know, you get value from the premium versions, then we'll do that as well. So there's, there's all these little like steps that we're taking to sort of welcome people into like this ecosystem in a, in a, in a friendly way, um, that I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, really positive about and I can't wait to release. Um, there, there are so many things I've picked up today. If you like, this is. If, if anyone's watching on YouTube, this, <laughs> these are like my my scribbly notes that I've got here. But I, I wanted to end up because you talked a lot about um, basically skill power. I love this. Like instead of willpower, it's about skill power, and the you know the skills that we need to develop to uh, in, enhance our um, desired changes, whatever the whatever the context might be, you know, whether it's spending more time with our family, whether it's eating healthy or whether it's exercising, whether it's meditating, whether it's being more rigid with work hours, whatever that might be. I wonder if you could give us some like key tips and it doesn't have to be anything new. Um, you've said a lot already today about different, different skills today, but what, what skills would you say that people should really lean into? Um, maybe a few things just to round off our, our conversation that users can take away uh, today. Where to start? Yeah, there's so many. And I again, you know, it's about finding the flavor that works for you. But I would say even um and, and you know, maybe I'm gonna bend the rules in terms of what is a skill and what isn't, but um <laughs> I would say would start with joy um and, and find things that bring you joy because I think that's a really important life skill to develop regardless of uh um you know what the habit is that you're wishing to develop. Um and, and and alongside that, I would say find meaning. And even you can, you know, if you even kind of lean into meaning in, in the most arduous of tasks. So, you know, for me, like, you know, doing my tax return maybe, you know, isn't the funnest thing um, in the world. But if I tell myself, well, actually, you know, if I tap into the intrinsic motivation behind it, you know, well, actually, this helps me feel competent and capable as a, as a business owner. Um, then I, I feel more 
um, you know, uh, motivated to engage with it. And I can, I can see what actually it gives me back. So always ask yourself, you know, what contribution does this make to my life? What positive contribution does this give me? Um, I think that's really important. So find joy, find your why, um, which is what I mean by meaningful, um, uh, you know, finding the meaning behind it for you. I would say start as small as possible. Um, I always talk about bite-sized habits. Um, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. And and, and the reason being because small is mighty and small is repeatable, but also it's much more flexible as well. You know, so often when it comes to creating long-term change, we think we have to drastically change everything overnight. But, you know, what we know from the research and a lot of us know from real life, unfortunately, is that that is definitely unsustainable. Um, Whereas those smaller habits make them much more likely to repeat and repetition ultimately is what forms um, a habit over time and so if they're small and easy enough to repeat then um, you know we're much more likely to engage with them so rather than starting you know with a recipe that's going to take an hour and a half to cook and involves knife skills and all sorts of different sauteing and you know caramelization or you know crazy tactics you know start with you know that that five minute recipe or start with you know um like Rupi says you know the no chop recipes or or whatever it is you know start in the smallest way possible even I say you know I often say if it doesn't pass the giggle test it might not be small enough you know it's almost laughably small um and and that way you start to feel you know confident and competent and you know you're more likely to gain momentum um and it's 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 much better to kind of look back down the mountain and be proud of the steps you've taken rather than you know be constantly looking at what's ahead and all of those hills you have to climb and I think it's really important that we have the compassion for ourselves that to start small and, and, and iterate, um, you know, even, you know, say you want to create a meditation habit rather than starting with 10 minutes, why not one minute while the kettle boils, just one minute mm. breathing, you know, or while your computer loads its updates each day. Um, yeah. So find joy, find meaning and start small. I think that that would be a great way to kick it off. I love that. I, I really do enjoy the notion of the giggle test. And uh, I, I'll share something with you, actually. Um, so I, I, I have a, a bunch of things on my to-do list, as you can imagine. Uh, one of them is uh, to write a, uh, a vision for, for the company, you know, in the next three to five years, what, what I imagine, what I'd like to aspire to. And Within that, you know, we're creating a vision document, images, you know, an org chart, um, ideal uh, full-time employees that we'd love to have as part of the doctor's kitchen. Um, and one of the tasks within, in, within there is to write an imagined press release uh, of uh, the company. So uh, a, a journalist who comes in to uh, our head office, our, our HQ, wherever that might be, and the article that they actually write uh, about the doctor's kitchen. So it's it's written through the perspective of a reporter who's writing for, I don't know, it could be uh, BBC, it could be Men's Health, it could be GQ, it could be whatever it, it might be, uh, Grazia, who knows. Um, and so uh, 
I, I tasked myself with write, literally writing the article. Um, but obviously, it's a big task. And I'm, I'm a busy guy, whatever. So my giggle test was to literally write one sentence of this article every morning when I do my affirmations. Like, fine, I can do that. I can do it. It's, it's so laughable that I, I can definitely do that. And I, I looked today. I've been, only been doing it for a week. I, I've done about three quarters of the article. So when you, I, I'm a firm believer when you break it down to small things, the likelihood is you're not going to do that like laughably small thing. You're just inevitably going to like write a few more sentences. But yeah, no, getting started is the hardest part. And like you say, once you kind of gain that momentum, then you almost feel, you know, your strengths are reaffirmed and you're like, oh, actually, I can do this. And now you've got, yeah. you know, three quarters of it, it done. And, and it always just started with one small step. Yeah, totally. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your your time again with us, uh, Heather. Um, we'll definitely do a call out to all your socials and where corporates can reach out to you because um, uh, I think uh, you would be a wonderful addition to uh, employee well-being and, uh, and everything else that you talked about today. So thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much. I've learned so much as well myself. So, yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Remember, you can get our newsletter, Eat, Listen, Read, every single week. Just go to thedoctorskitchen.com. And remember, you can also watch these podcasts as well as listen to them on YouTube. Just type in The Doctor's Kitchen, check out the free app, and I will see you here next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.